To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Yo, what's happening, guys? Does anybody say yo anymore? I don't, I don't think anybody ever said yo, did they? Maybe in the 90s or so, but kind of dates me back. But at any rate, I've got a great brand new podcast for you. Uh, this week on Eastman's Elevated, I have on Adam Molesky. So Adam was published in our Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal for harvesting a giant stone sheep ram. Um, I put out a call to action uh, back a few podcasts ago and said, anybody that's been published in our magazines, reach out to me and let's put a podcast together. And that's exactly what Adam did. Um, I, I'm so glad he did. I'm so fortunate I get to meet these like-minded individuals with, um, you know, the same passion that I have. And, and, uh, Adam lives up in BC. And so, you know, we're just able to talk about all the different adventures that he's able to go on, the different opportunities he has, um, you know, his thoughts and theories on bow hunting. And, uh, it's, it's just a, a great conversation, a great episode. I'm really glad I got to meet Adam. And uh, excited to release this to you guys. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors for today's show. I want to thank Technu. Technu, uh, the, it's it's made for poison oak and poison ivy. So they have their Technu original. That poison oak and poison ivy is nasty stuff. And when you get into it, you do anything to have some Technu sitting in the cupboard. So it's it's just a good thing to have if you ever get into that stuff. And the poison oak and poison ivy... It's like the oil in it gets on you or your clothing, and then all of a sudden it's rubbing on your truck seat, on your steering wheel, or like you bring it home with you, and then you can get that oil on you later and have another reaction to it. So it's just a good idea to have that Tech New original around. It also uh, works to get sap out of clothing, I've heard. Uh, if you if your dog gets into a skunk, it neutralizes that oil. So if you guys have ever given your dog a tomato bath or any of that witchcraft they tell you that works, it doesn't take any of the scent out. Uh, Tech New Original will. Uh, so just a good thing to have in your cupboard. Thanks to those guys for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, I also want to thank IOTA Outdoors. So IOTA builds high-end scope rings and, and rifle stocks. And uh, their scope rings... Um, I always like to say it's got like a, a level built into it. So they're rock solid. Your scope's never going to go anywhere. And then they have a level that's put on the scope rings that, that helps you to make sure that every shot you're not canting your rifle. Canting your rifle can can account for left or right misses on your target. It's so important. Like I relate it to canting my bow and having my bow level every time. But um, they just build uh, great scope rings, and then they also have about four different models of rifle scopes um, that are that are all great designs that that fit and uh, shoot accurately. So if you're in the market for scope rings or a new stock, make sure to check out IOTA Outdoors. And thanks to those guys for their support of the podcast. With that, uh, I've been burning the midnight oil, just trying to keep all my responsibilities caught up. And uh, keep hunting a little bit. I've been a weekend warrior here. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to make it this weekend. Um, just got, you know, boy, it's been a long season. And just got some stuff with the family I need to take care of. But we'll see as it gets closer. See if I can get my work done and maybe cut out for the weekend or maybe uh, one more weekday. And 
the unit I've been hunting closes on the um, closes here soon, and then um, there's another unit open the whole month, so I may go check out that too. So I've still got a few a handful of days left to go hunt, and then um, I'm I'm always looking forward to Arizona and heading down there, and whether I chase muleys or whether I chase coos. It's always a good time and getting some good weather down there. So I still got some good hunts coming up. Um, got some good podcasts coming up with the Eastmans. I'm going to run over to the office next week. Uh, going to record some. I'm going to try to get Mike Eastman on a recording. And um, see, I got one coming up with Scott uh, Reekers. And then, um, yeah, I'm going to try to record one with all the Eastman guys. Uh, they, um, I got a vacation rental over there in uh, Cody and so uh, we're gonna go have a lunch relax setting and then go over that vacation rental and sit down and record and just I think uh, we kind of narrowed it down we're kind of talking over ideas if you guys got any ideas uh, shoot me a message on my social media um, anything we should discuss but I kind of want to talk about um, just our seasons and and um, you know different things that go on those guys are such good storytellers it should go really good and then um I also want to talk about moments in the podcast, and um, so we got a we got a lot of good ideas and a lot of good things in the works. So that should be really fun. Um, make sure to check out uh, Eastman's uh, Christmas gift guide if you're looking for any gifts for um, anybody out there for Christmas. Uh, they've got a really good uh, Christmas gear guide. You can give subscriptions. Um, you can get apparel. Uh, videos, books, um, you name it. They have a great line there. So make sure to check out the gift guide if you need somebody to buy for that's a Western hunter this year. And with that, um, let's get into this podcast. So it's uh, Adam Molesky. He's from um, British Columbia. And uh, I'm your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. I got you good, yep. Oh, right on. Well, good work. Um, yeah, technology, it's always a battle, it seems. Like, Skype's the easiest format to kind of get everybody to connect to, but it, it still doesn't uh, mean it works flawlessly every time. Yeah, technology, not not my thing, Brian, but uh, <laughs> it looks like we got it, buddy. Yeah, Yeah, not my strong suit either. Well, um, <laughs> dude, I'm really glad you reached out. It looks like you're a heck of a bow hunter up there in BC, and just super excited to sit down and have a conversation with you. Thanks, man. Um, yeah, this is uh, this is exciting, definitely. Um, yeah, it's gonna be awesome. Good. They let you off work today, huh? They did. Yeah, yeah. I get the odd day off, so that's good. Sounds like you've been going pretty hard, huh? Yeah, we did. We uh, we had a, a big project going, and we kind of finally ended it, so it was good. Yeah. Oh, good. Uh, what do you do, Adam? Uh, police. So I work uh through the the federal police, the the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, and I'm on a a drug section. So yeah keep you busy huh it definitely does yeah yeah Lots yeah of fun. good yeah um does it also allow you get get quite a bit of time for bow hunting it definitely does and that's one of the main reasons i i joined Brian is because we get lots of time off so it's uh it's good and then uh also like we get to move around and go to different communities and yeah it's uh it's 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 uh it definitely works well with my with my passion anyway, so it's good. Oh, right on. Yeah, uh, it's such a such a bonus when you can can kind of structure your life to get free time to you know chase other hobbies and passions and things like your bow hunting. And then, like you say, it sounds like a pretty good job that um, keeps you mobile and getting exercise and and also keeps you like 
connected to your community. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, no complaints at all. Man. It's great. Yeah, it's a good gig. Oh, right on. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, well, I, I wanted to get you on the podcast. Um, gosh, I wanted to talk about, oh, you're bow hunting, obviously, but gosh, I mean, some of um, your social media, like that mountain caribou you harvested was just amazing. Thanks, Gwen. Yeah, that was that was something else. That was a long haul, though, but it was uh, in the end, it was it was absolutely amazing. Yeah. What did I see? Like um, I saw 80 days that you had into trying to harvest a mountain caribou with your bow. It was Gwen. it was we did uh, we did eight trips over six hunting seasons and uh just every high and low imaginable like um and yeah on the 80th day i killed my bull and then on the 80 80 day 81 my my buddy rod killed his bull so it was uh it was something else yeah (laughs) wow that is crazy man um that's a lot of time paying your dues so so you guys obviously have mountain caribou there in bc huh we do yeah 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 Okay, and so it's like a an opportunity you guys get where you can get a tag every year for mountain caribou. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, we have a couple limited entry zones, but most of it's just uh, it's wide open. It's general open season, and you can kill bulls that have uh, well, essentially five on top of the back point. So I mean, it has to, um, yeah, it has to meet the the point uh, restrictions. But yeah, we can go every season, uh, Brian, and it's. Uh, yeah, it's it's awesome. It's uh, you gotta we gotta go way up north. I mean, the, uh, I did one hunt uh, like in central BC. It's called the Itch Ilgachu, and that that was a story on its own. Uh, I went up with some old cowboy into the into the hills on horseback and had uh, every rodeo possible. And <laughs> so then I decided horseback hunting wasn't my thing. And then we just went way up north, like kind of close to the Yukon border there at a Deese Lake. And yeah, we did. Uh, yeah, seven trips into the other before it finally came together, and um, awesome, awesome times. Saw lots, uh, saw lots of bulls. Just honestly, Brian, I could we could not get close to them. Like, um, you know, wide open alpine country, and then willow flats. That sometimes you'd be close enough, but can't get a shot. And I mean, I found them like easy to get within like a uh, hundred and fifty yards, but just to kill a big bull with a bull was just. I, I don't know. I just struggled. It just couldn't, it didn't seem like it was ever going to happen. And then when it did, it was amazing. So, yeah. Man, that had to feel so good, putting so much time and effort into a species, you know, and, and into improving and getting better and having a good chance at filling your tag. And then to have it all come together. And that's a big bull that needs like five on top, you know, a big mature mountain bull. Um, there's nothing like having the ultimate challenge and bow hunting is so difficult, you know, for, for all these different species and these different habitats, but man, to, to take on the challenge head on like that and then be able to put that much time and effort in and be successful. You had to be on top of the world, man. Oh, it was, it was, uh, it's, it's such mixed emotions as you know, eh? like we're almost sad it's done, but, uh, so happy at the same time and. It was, yeah, it was absolutely incredible. And just the way it played out was just amazing, too. So, yeah. Well, and those caribou, you know, they kind of get a reputation for being real curious and, and almost being dumb. Like, I, it seems like mule deer kind of get the same reputation as always looking back. But the a lot of these deer and these caribou that get this reputation are like unhunted caribou or undisturbed 
uh, mule deer, like on um, where you know where they just don't get hunted or pressured. But but my experience with caribou, like I've hunted them off the Hall Road a couple times, and I've just had a riot hunt them. I've fallen in love with the species. Like you say, it's wide open terrain. But the caribou that I've hunted, they don't come into bow. They're not curious. They they you know they're used to avoiding uh, humans as predators and wolves as predators. And it seems like they'll let you get to like you said, 150, 200 yards. And you know it they don't like take off and try to relocate 10, 20 miles away. They're just always moving away from you and kind of keeping their eye on you. And they're really tough to get inside that bow range, at least in my experience. I, I have the exact same experience, Brian. Just, um, yeah, like you say, like, and like, you know, even I, I'd blow stocks on bulls and they'd run out to like 150, 200 yards and they'd mill around. And I guess if you're a rifle hunter, well, then it's easy. Then you just shoot one. But I mean, if you're a bull hunter, then, you know, the times that I did bust bulls out trying to stalk them, like I've never, I, I, I think that they're just like a wolf smart and they, they know that wolves are trying to kill them. And if something's close, that's bad, right? So, um, you know, like one time I had uh, four big bulls on a hillside. Well, one real big bull and four, or three kind of smaller bulls, and they were all bedded. Finally, the big bull gets up. He's feeding at 60. And as soon as my bull limb just kind of crested over the bush, gone. Like, absolutely gone. Like, it's not like, uh, you know, like even sheep or goats or anything, they'll stand and they'll give you a couple seconds. Not even a second, like absolutely gone. But then they run out to a couple hungry yards and they mill around like they're stupid, but <laughs> they're not <laughs> when it comes to bow hunting. It's just, I had a heck of a time. And then, you know, we did, uh, uh, you know, late rut hunts too. And it was the old cows, Brian. Like it, you know, like you just could not outsmart the old cows. Like they would just be onto you and then they would just run away and then the bulls would run w- away with the old cows. And, I think they've just been through it before and they know. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, it was a tough, tough go, but amazing at the same time. Yeah, that's what I found too. And like you say, for a rifle hunter, if it runs out to 200 yards, it's a dead caribou or a, a dead mule deer. But when you're trying to get into bow range, like I gain a new level of respect for these critters when you're trying to get close. It's like it's like antelope, and I've seen you've hunted antelope too. Um, did you get a chance up in BC to hunt them? I, no, we don't have antelope in BC. I went to Wyoming, actually, Brian. I drew a, a non-resident tag. Uh, me and my buddy Rod both drew one, and we went up to Wyoming. And you know what? I don't even remember the uh, the closest city that we went to, but it was amazing, too. We, uh, yeah, we drove all the way up. It took us like 20, 27, 28 hours to drive all the way up, and it was, yeah, awesome hunt. I, you know, until that point, I'd never even seen an antelope in my life, so it was amazing. Man, how cool. Yeah, what a great adventure. And and you guys have antelope in Canada, just not in BC, right? Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. Uh, Alberta, Saskatchewan has antelope, but not BC. So. Okay, gotcha. Um, but but it's like those antelope. Like, um, So I started hunting antelope with my rifle way back as a kid, and it's been 10 years since I've hunted with a rifle, maybe 12 now or so. And when I hunted them with a rifle, it, it was almost, um, you know, they're in the wide open. You can find them. And I'm not going to say that they're ever easy or anything, but it was easier to get inside range. And you know, I just didn't fall in love, and so I didn't even apply for a tag after that. I was like, well, you know, I hunted them once. I got a decent antelope. Like, I'm good on it. And, and then they came out with this bow-only tag, and it, it's been about 
maybe 15, 16 years since they came out with this. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll give that a try. I'll try to shoot one with my bow. And I put in for that bow tag and I gain like this new level of respect for these antelope and their eyesight and how keen their instincts are getting away from me. And all of a sudden it was like the ultimate challenge. And so I was hooked on it and hooked on antelope. And it actually took me three full years to get my first antelope down with my bow, you know, chasing them, mistakes, misses. I mean, you name it, it happened, you know. But then once I I kind of unlocked the secrets or figured it out, now I've been able to go, you know, I, I don't know, 12, 13 years in a row harvesting an antelope. And some years they're the toughest animal with my bow, and then some years it'll just come together on the second, third stock or that. But hunting them with a bow, I think, gives you this new appreciation for them and their instincts. And that's exactly how caribou were for me, too, is like once I, I chased them with a bow, like you say, their instincts, they just want to keep a couple hundred yards away from you. And I think it comes from like living in that country, seeing a wolf, and, and they can't just run away from a wolf 20 miles away. Those wolves are going to keep with them. So they just try to keep them at a safe level, like that 200 yards away, and just try to keep an eye on them. And those caribou, I found their eyesight is extremely good. Like that one saw your cam, your your limb coming over the rise. I've noticed that too in that open country. If they notice anything out of place, they're out of there, you know. So yeah. really, really yeah. fun to chase with a bow and arrow. Absolutely, Brian. I saw them videos of you hunting them too, and it's just, man, oh, man, awesome stuff, just awesome. Yeah, no, so cool. Well, you guys got a lot of good opportunity. It looks like up there in BC, and and what I'm, 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 I'm really interested in is like some of those stone sheep opportunities. I I met a guy from BC and started chatting to him, but it sounds like you can also hunt stone sheep every year, right? We can, yeah. We have a, a couple limited entry zones, but you know, honestly, I don't even think that those would be the best zones to hunt. But yeah, we can go buy a tag, Brian, eighty bucks, and we can go stone sheep hunting every season. And um, and we also have doll sheep. You got to draw to get a doll sheep, and that's another story. I just can't seem to pull a tag. And uh, and then also we have uh, Rocky Mountain bighorns and well, California bighorns too. And those are tough hunts. But I mean, if you draw a good tag, then I mean you have a good chance of killing a ram too. But I mean, yeah, we can go stone hunting every season for uh, an eighty dollar tag, which is absolutely amazing. So. Oh my gosh, Adam, that is amazing! What an awesome opportunity, and that there's just nothing like alpine with your bow, is there? It's just such extreme, gnarly country, and so you know, I kind of compare it to like my high country mule deer hunting or something like that. It's got to be like the ultimate adventure to be able to go after stone sheep with your bow. Oh, I absolutely, and you know, yeah, I watch those uh, you guys hunting high country muleys, and I, I just, I envy that too, though. Like, I mean, we have, uh, we have big bucks in BC, but they live in the thick bush. If I could go hunt them in the, in the high country like you guys do, that would be absolutely amazing. But it's, um, yeah, it's just, uh, well, you know exactly. It's just so awesome to be up above the tree line. Like the, uh, it's just wild, wild country. It's endless. It's. Um, it's like so unforgiving, like the weather changes every half an hour and you can have, you know, the same trip you can get snowed on and have, you know, plus 20 weather, you know, it's, uh, and you know, yeah, just the, the opportunities to, to put on lots of miles and do lots of glassing, see lots of species. It's, uh, it's to me, yeah, it's the, it's the ultimate. It's, it's so, 
it's so tough that it's so rewarding when it actually comes together. So, yeah. Man, I can't imagine. So, um, what are kind of some of the management practices they put on sheep? Like, what are the, um, is, does it, uh, the curl restrictions or the age restrictions or is it different unit to unit? Uh, no. So with, well, with stone sheep, it's all the same. So you, you basically have to shoot lambs that are at the end of their life. So they have to be either eight, eight years old or older, or the horn has to come over the bridge of the nose. So full curl, um, on one side. So, I mean, the odd time you'll get a ram at six that'll break the bridge of the nose, but sometimes they'll be 10 and they won't. Right. So it's, um, they, they basically have to be at the end of their life cycle. So, um, you know, it's really common. You you see lots of lambs, Brian, that are seven. <laughs> oh, man. So it, yeah, so it, it's almost like they have a really high – they got it figured out that they have a high mortality rate at seven. So you can basically shoot them at the end of their life cycle. So um, it's tough, um, especially like some of them, you know, some of them have like super countable annuli and some of them don't. And – it's uh yeah you gotta have good optics you gotta be you gotta really know what you're doing because i mean you don't want to make a mistake too right so i mean that's the thing of and you know bow hunting you'll be up close and you can usually get a good count on them too but i mean the uh the zone that we hunt like up in the, the northwest i mean lots of those rams they'll never break the bridge of the nose they'll be you know they, they die well before they just grow low and out and um, yeah, so you got to just shoot old, old rams. So it's uh, it's pretty awesome to, to you know to think that the that sheep lived on that mountain for you know nine, t- ten years. You know, it's it's crazy to think that they could survive that long. But uh, yeah, it's 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 something else. Man, um, yeah, you got to be so disciplined behind your glass. You sure can't convince yourself of something, or you just have to make. 100 percent positive that that it is a, a legal ram and then you're still probably a little nervous even walking up oh absolutely <laughs> yeah, yeah you do have like the second guess and you, you always go check uh even though you know you're 100 percent sure looked at tons of rams yeah it's always like the first thing you do is you just uh go check <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I've seen at least a couple rams you've harvested. One I saw with really good rings on it that you posted. Uh, how old was that ram? Was he eight or nine? Nine, yeah. Nine. So I shot, I shot two nines and one eight. So yeah. Oh, good on you. Yeah, uh, uh, the the eight. You were positive it was an eight, huh? I was. You know what? I, I actually got lucky on that one. And he doesn't have really defined rings, but uh, the weather was so bad, and he. Uh, once they get like, uh, I find once they get wet, the 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 water kind of like, I guess coagulates like into the rings, and you can count them really easily. Then, so um, you know, he kind of came out of the bush and he was all wet, and then you can kind of see, you know, if they get wet, you can count them really well, actually. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just you got to follow that that same rule because they can have false annuli. So I mean, basically. Um, you know, the uh, as the rings get closer to the base, they get, uh, you know, um, the distance, the gap becomes less, right? So if all of a sudden you have one that it doesn't follow suit, so you got, um, you know, you always got a short lamb tip, and then from two to three is longer, and then three to four is a little bit shorter, and then you just go shorter because the horn grows, uh, you know, the base grows bigger every time. 
you know, if you get one that's wacky and doesn't follow suit, you can't count that one. And you do get that quite often. You get a false. Lots of times on six, you get a false. So, yeah. Ooh, yeah, yeah, that's a little spooky to get a false one like that that, yep. that doesn't make sense with the other rings or whatever. Yeah, you got to be really disciplined and careful, but what a cool experience. So these are like true mountain hunts. And so like how do you get into country or you've definitely got like some, some archery areas that you like. Do you – hike in from a trailhead do you fly into a lake uh sounds like you're you're kind of like me and don't like the horseback thing no no Brian, that is not my thing at all but it's yeah i mean uh lots of guys do fly-ins i do hike-ins um I, i've actually never done a fly-in but um yeah i mean uh the country's endless and i, I actually hike in right off of the stuart castle highway so i mean you just park on the side of the highway and hike in and um it's uh yeah it's it's a long ways up but it's not um it's not too awful i guess so yeah that's yeah, uh just grind it out for a handful of hours and make it to top and then you talk about cover and country so you're leaving with everything you need in your pack on your back yep 10 days yep. of everything you need and i've done i've done other hunts too like um my dad is a, a jet boat, and we've done, you know, we've jet boated up uh, up some of the main uh, sheep hunting rivers, and then hiked in past there. And then um, same, we've done like uh, they'll have like mining exploration trails that you can like quad a long ways, and then hike out after that too. So I mean, but mostly it's just hiking. It's just like grinding it out. You got ten days uh, of supplies with you, and you just hike in and grind it out, and yeah. Man, that's the purest way to bow hunt, isn't it? And it's like to see that that vast roadless country in there where it just takes leg power to get in there. That's what it's truly about, you know. Um, how cool. So so you make it up on top. You do your climb. You've got your day's worth of, of gear. And then um, you probably mapped out and you're probably trying to cover ridge lines and cover miles in there, huh, to, to just look at different basins and try to find a band of rams, huh? That's exactly it. It's uh, it's uh, you know especially stone sheep they blend in so well. It's it's a lot of glassing and then a lot of hiking, right? So I mean, once you've uh, completely satisfied that you've picked apart one ridge line or basin or whatever, then you just got to keep moving and keep looking in the next. And um, you know it's it's amazing. Like lots of times those those rams live in the bush too, and then all of a sudden you catch them coming out of the bush and. Uh, yeah, it just can happen any any way. But I mean, uh, eventually you kind of get to know some spots too. Like, uh, you know, like I, I go to one spot specifically stone sheep hunting. I've been in there seven times, and uh, um, I just kind of know it enough now that I know where I can basically find rams. It took a long time to get there. We did a lot of wandering around looking in spots that didn't have rams but now i can kind of find it but then we go to new spots and you just you just never know where you can find them like uh yeah like sometimes they just come right out of the bush and bam there they were <laughs> so it's uh yeah it can happen at any time but it's uh it's a lot of glass and a lot of looking man isn't that the way it is with species and in areas and it seems like country it seems like game animals aren't spread all the way throughout the habitat. It seems like there's concentrations of them, and there's places they like. And whether this goes for hunting anything, whether it's mountain caribou, sheep, you know, high country mule deer, elk, whatever it is, they just have places they like and places, 
you know, they like they have travel corridors and places they like to move through. They have bedding zones and feeding basins that they like. And then sometimes you can just find the perfect looking country in the it looks like the perfect habitat to my human eye, but for some reason the bucks don't like it or the band of rams don't like it. And so like with anything getting proficient, it's a mix of hunting spots that you know and spots that you don't know and exploring, but really like unlocking the country and, and figuring out where they like and where to glass and the vantage points. And, and then once you can kind of do that, it seems like you can just walk in there with confidence. And, and you might not find them you know, in your number one spot or where you've seen them exactly before, but you know you're going to find them in one of those spots in there, and you just hunt – like with more intention, like you're just glassing those spots thinking you're going to spot one to where you, when you're in a new spot, you almost feel a little lost trying to figure it all out. But that's part of the fun of it is trying to trying to figure out that puzzle and solve it. Is it ever? And that's like the difference between like D, D, DIY hunting and, you know, you, lots of times you just don't have that knowledge base. And like, you know, the the first trip or two is like a recce and it's just like, well, I got to find them. I got to know the country. And then it's, uh, and that's exciting too, I guess. But, uh, yeah, you know, eventually you can go in and you kind of have a way better idea and you, you know, even just like sheep hunting in general, like, um, you know, even when I go to, you know, a new spot, I kind of, got it in my head where I'm going to see rams and um you know like you say that doesn't always work out lots of times you hike into the most perfect basin and well you don't see anything but uh and then yeah like uh mountain caribou hunting Brian like I don't think I've seen the same bull twice like they just (laughs) seem to move around so much that you know you know you can look into a basin and see nothing and then all of a sudden a big group goes through and then you never ever see them again so it's they, they move so much that it's it's amazing that but but that's exciting in its own way too because you you know you go to sleep in the tent you wake up and you just never know what's going to move in and what's going to walk in so yeah it's awesome like you say those caribou are so tough to catch up to right when they're moving and you can't chase a caribou from behind you'll never catch them but you'll see them move in one direction at least my experience i'll see them move in one direction i'm like oh i gotta get in front of them and i'll put all this effort to go out miles to get in front of them and then i'll find that caribou and he'll be walking the opposite direction then it's like they they'll walk for a, a while in one direction and then change directions and uh it seems like they're so random but they're always moving and i love to find them when they are bedded you know when you have it where they're actually holding still where you have a chance to catch up to them isn't that it brian like uh we we would yeah like run like miles to get ahead of them and then you don't even see them and then you see them going up a different mountain it's like you got to be kidding me it looks like they would be lining that way but they it's almost like they I don't know if they wander around like they're lost, or that's like a, a tactic for losing wolves. I don't know, but but they don't walk in a straight line. I tell you that much. It's, oh, uh, I know yeah. they uh, they're. Yeah. They change their mind constantly, and they're always moving. Yeah, they're a tough animal to catch up to for sure. Um, but like you say, that's what what makes it fun as well. But yeah, learning learning these areas, um, it definitely pays dividends. You know, learning the animals, learning the areas, and how they act. And you know, a lot of animals you do have to hunt aggressively. And and caribou are kind of that way where you want to find one in a good position because you don't want to waste all your time. 
But but once you go all in, yeah, half the time you're running to try to get in front of them or to stay in front of them or cut them off or it's a it's a real exciting way to hunt. Hunting hunting elk is also that way. Like you hunt elk fairly aggressively and they travel a lot of country. Have you ever had a chance to hunt elk there in BC? I have. And so um, actually this season was my, uh, that's my next on the hit list is an elk. So I did, I spent a week elk hunting and um, I'm hooked, Brian. Like it's, uh, like you said, it's just so aggressive. It's so like, you know, you get a bugle back and you, you run over there to to try and get at them. And um, you know what? I, I, I've never hunted elk. Um, I'll, 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 I'll be the first to admit I'm a total newbie. I had some really good chances. Um, Haven't killed one yet. Um, called some bulls right in nice bulls but uh so awesome like um you know like i've i've been on like hillsides and you let out a bugle and one kind of answers back but i've never had those like close encounters and i'm i'm hooked brian like that's my that's my next wave of uh obsession now that this uh, now that i got the mountain caribou down is i'm i'm gonna be hunting elk because man oh man is that a good time oh they are so thrilling to hunt especially during the rut and the bugle like you experience it doesn't get any better but it it's wild like mule deer you know, you get to get this plan, methodical stock that I'm going to get to this rock, I'm going to get to this tree, and sometimes it takes you a half an hour to to move ten steps, and you're trying to keep in the shadows. It just seems like everything's planned, or there's control over it. Where where elk is like chaos. They're always moving, and they're traveling country, and like elk. You just got to find elk, and then when it's your time to go all in, like, you just got to go get into elk to go kill one. And so you just got to get close and then, like, trust your instincts and trust that you can make the right moves. And you don't get caught coming over rises, and you're trying to keep the wind right. And there's so many factors that that play a role, but it it just seems like it's such – it's such chaos where you're just trusting your instincts and you're in them and your adrenaline's off the charts and you're chasing out. Like it's such a thrilling way to bow hunt. And that's what I like or what what's so cool like about where you're at in BC or me here in the States is I just get opportunities to chase all these different species. And like every one in every different habitat challenges you in a different way and takes a different skill set and a different knowledge. But but being able to adapt to it and figure out the the key to being successful or figure out that species and how to hunt it, like, man, that, that is the fun of bow hunting, isn't it? Oh, is it ever. And, like, the, the best, the, you know, the, the favorite animal to hunt is the animal that you're hunting on that day. <laughs> like it's yes, so, yeah, that's me too, man. Yeah, it's just so, everything is so unique. And, um, yeah, that's what makes it fun is that um, you, you just – you, you can't win, I guess, with bow hunting, you know, there, like there's always more to chase. There's always like bigger animals to chase, new areas, new locations, new species. And it's just uh, it's just like a constant uh, battle, I guess. Like, I don't know if that's the <laughs> the right way to put it, but it's just um, it's just always consuming. You, you, you can't win. It, it seems like right? it's like, so difficult, isn't it? It's yeah. always so difficult. And you picture it in your mind. And then when you get there, it's always tougher than you think it's going to be. It seems like mission impossible sometimes with a bow in your hands and in a tough animal. But, you know, persistence is deadly and you just keep after them. And eventually, you know, you, you earn an opportunity. But but yeah, and it's it's wild, too. We're all individuals as bow hunters and we all fall in love with different things. Like 
I have one buddy, he just loves to hunt elk. Like, elk is his thing. He loves to hunt elk during bow season, during rifle season, and you can hardly get the guy to go mule deer hunting or antelope. He's just not interested in any of it. He loves to hunt elk. That's what he hunts, you know? And and like a, a guy I just had on the podcast, Marlon Holden, like, he's a specialist. He loves he loves mule deer, and, and, and he just focuses on mule deer in the different seasons, and and then there's guys like like me and it sounds like you where I just love bow hunting and I love hunting different species and challenging myself in different ways and but but we're all just individuals and no path is wrong or right but that's just what I've fallen in love with is figuring out a new area or a new species and kind of unlocking the secrets but I really think that's a lot of the fun of bow hunting for me. I I couldn't agree more with Brian. It's just. Uh... Yeah, it just brings you to these awesome places. It brings you to, you just have the most wild experiences that you just can't even describe to somebody who's never been through it. And, you know, I can see, um, yeah, you know, like for a while I was just like always sheep and goat hunting, sheep and goat hunting, sheep and goat hunting. But, it, you know, now that I've, you know, I've, I've been kind of expanding that and just hunting, you know, I still love sheep and goat hunting, but it's... Uh, you know, it's it's awesome to go chase moose. It's awesome to go stalk black bears. It's uh, you know, I'd love to, I gotta get some lessons from you, and I, I'd love to kill a big muley. And you know, it's just um, you can do so much, and it's just awesome to kind of expand and kind of learn how to hunt different animals because, like you say, it's so unique. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm with you. Well, and that's where we're so fortunate where we live that we that we do get these opportunities. And and you mentioned before, like the do it yourself is really paying your dues and putting your years in. And and there's shortcuts to this game. You know, if you've got a, a big checkbook, you know, you can pay some money and the the outfitter and the guides will scout for you and they'll take you to the good spots where you get into good action or they'll you can get access to property that that doesn't have hunting pressure, that, that maybe has more animals. So there's shortcuts to it but the do-it-yourself blue-collar working-class guy it's so nice that we have the same opportunities to find epic hunting and, and we have these same these same chances for the average guy where we have public lands and and we can go out and you know sure you're not going to walk out and walk yourself into the best hunting you've ever seen it's going to take days if not weeks months years of, of research and gas money and and in the end we might have more into these hunts than these guys have you know paying for a guide or an outfitter or access to other land just because of, of all the time and effort we put in and just like you said like sometimes you got to pay your dues just like that antelope it took me three years to figure out how to harvest one or a coos deer that took me you know two three years to figure it out or a mule in just like your elk you just went and you know you weren't able to harvest one but you learned a lot you had a bunch of close encounters like us blue collar guys we just put in our our uh we put in our effort we put in our money or we put in you know our soul we just put it in a little bit different you know than than other guys and and from that is time and effort and money but there's nothing more rewarding than figuring it out yourself Oh, I completely agree. And, you know, not to say if I didn't have the uh, the big bank account and the checkbook that I wouldn't be going on those hunts, Brian, but I, I don't think that it has the same uh, the same level of, you know, accomplishment when you actually go and do it all by yourself. And, you know, I'm sure some of those guys envy us too, though. Like, um, I know I've been into lots of, you know, sheep zones where you run into the guides and those, you know, those guys who are paying a lot of money to go on a stone sheep hunt and it cost me 80 bucks and, we're, uh, we're hunting the exact same spot, right? So 
But at the same time, yeah, I, I just think like the level of satisfaction and accomplishment when you when you do these DIY hunts and you you just get it done and you know the uh, the odds were against you, but you you know eventually it just it, it's so awesome. It's you, you can't describe it unless you've been there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it, it's so rewarding, like you say, and not. I'm with you. Nothing against uh, the guys that, you know, they've worked hard and some guys, you know, have more money than they have time, you know, and and so for sure. And sometimes they're just getting access to really good land that holds really good elk hunting or holds really good deer hunting. But those animals are still wild. They still have to go bow hunt them. They still have to get it right. And I'm like you. I don't, you know, I don't, if I had that opportunity, I'd be hunting the best spots too. And so I can't blame them, but there is something about figuring everything out yourself and figuring it out you know on public ground that that's pretty neat and um it and really feels like you, you you've done something or accomplished something but but yeah man i like um i really look for that epic hunting action on any species i'm hunting and it just seems like it's out there it seems like eventually if you pay your dues mountain caribou you get into those bulls and you get that 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 thrilling encounter where you're chasing them and your adrenaline's running and maybe you're chasing one bull and then here comes another one and just just that epic action or like your your elk hunting where they're bugling and you're chasing them and you're getting close calls man that's what i live for i love those those opportunities you know those those doses of adrenaline you get on a hunt when you find that really good hunting nothing like it Brian. nothing like it it's uh yeah, and like you said, it's so unique, you know, like, I mean, it's, it's like, so amazing to be, like, um, over top of a big better ram, and, you know, just, um, but then, you know, there's that, and then, you know, like you say, you got the, the elk just coming in, screaming in your face, with the, the bull moose coming in, grunting every step, and thrashing the brush, it's just so, the you know, it's so unique to the species, but it's just uh, all so amazing, it's just, um yeah, like the you, you can't beat it. Like I mean, there's nothing that I've been through in my life that is so exciting and so intense as having these uh, these moments like that. It's uh, and lots of times, like as you know, they don't come together even, but it's still it's just the experience that gets you there. That's just so worthwhile. Yeah, well, and you mentioned the grind earlier. Like a lot of these hunts are the grind. They just take constant effort. And it's it's really it's not fun all the time riding out storms, stone sheep hunt. You know, I can only imagine from comparing my experiences. But it's just not fun all the time. Like you're doing huge climbs, and you're hour after hour you're hiking. You get up on top, storms are coming in, and you're riding them out. And it really challenges you as a human being to keep going, and challenges your mental toughness and your drive. And you you get up there and it's easy to start questioning yourself. You know, what am I doing up here, putting my life in danger? But it it's those moments in that challenge that that you keep pushing on. And it seems like when you get out of the mountains, the only thing you can think about is being back in the mountains. You know, and so like like they're just I haven't found anything in life quite like it where you have to endure and put so much effort. It's not fun all the time while you're doing it, but it's the most fun you can ever have, you know, in your life and you get home and that hunt is the only thing you can think about is getting back to those mountains and and doing it all over again. And I think it's just the mix of the the effort, the grind and then 
also those thrilling encounters and getting close with a bow. And, and then it's just so tough to accomplish and do that, that when you do harvest an animal with your bow, the sense of satisfaction and accomplishment is just overwhelming, especially like you 80 days into a mountain caribou. Like that's crazy. You had so much into that hunt, so much invested that when it comes together, there's just no better feeling on planet Earth. Oh, absolutely, Brian. Absolutely. You know what the, and it's just like, uh, I think that goes along with life. Like the, the best things in life, uh, they're tough. Like it's something that you had to really work for. <clears throat> Excuse me. You really had to, you had to earn it, right? So then when it finally comes together, it's just, uh, yeah, like that, uh, that 80, you know, like, um, like I, uh, I shot three stone rams in one less trip than getting one mountain caribou so i mean that was you know when it finally all came together it was just uh, and just the way it played out too but it was so awesome like it's uh you know like he it was just uh you know late it was uh the second last day of the season october 14th finally found a bull and uh you know from a long ways away i didn't think he was legal and then i got up close to it i could see he had a small fifth point and game on and then just you know he's Beating at 160 yards, and then he just had to get to one specific point. And, um, you know, finally, you know, I don't know how long it took, but finally he fed to that point that I could get in on him. So I hustled up, and, you know, it was just, just like uh, amazing the way it played out. The wind was just blowing, snowing, and, you know, it, I could hardly draw my bow back. It was blowing so hard, and eventually, you know, smoked him, and he, he you know, they want to run downhill, and he actually ran right past me. Like, I almost could have touched them, and then just, like, rolled down the mountain below me. And it, the wind's almost blowing me off the mountain. It's just, like, uh, awesome. So awesome. It's just, you, you can't describe it unless you've been there, though, right? Like, it's just so, yeah, it's just so amazing. Yeah, what an experience. Um, it's wild. You talk about 160 yards and holding up for you don't know how long. You know, I've, I've got this saying that I constantly say on the podcast that patience kills the buck. And, and I think that applies to every species out there. But then after that caribou moved to the right spot, you held still forever because that caribou could see you. You couldn't, you couldn't give yourself away. You couldn't let that caribou know you were there. So you sat frozen. And then all of a sudden, 160 yards, he feeds over the ledge. And now you're almost running to try to get to that spot to catch up to him. And so like, I just think these stocks are so unique and like that freezing in place and being patient. Um, I can really relate to that. It really resonates with me because, you know, I've been bow hunting so much in these last couple months that, man, I mean, killing this last, this last elk in Montana, like, I can't tell you how many times I was frozen for 15 minutes, frozen for an hour, you know, sitting in the same spot with an elk looking my way. And it, it could just be a satellite bull or one of the cows or, or something of the herd. And you talked earlier too about beating the, the caribou cows would always catch you. Like a lot of times it's not the bull that you're trying to kill. It's all his cows or like mule deer starting to rut right now. It's not the buck that's going to catch you. It's all the does. Like you've got to beat all these eyes, but, but patience plays such a huge role in being successful, not letting them know you're there, not being reckless and just waiting for that right opportunity to go all in and then close in and try to get that shot. Yeah, absolutely, Brian. That's a, man, that's a nice elk you killed. That's uh yeah, man, oh man, beautiful. But yeah, it's just, uh, you know, in the times that, uh, you know, I look back and you, you know, you want it to happen so bad and you force it. I mean, those often don't, uh, 
they often don't pan out. So, I mean, it's just uh, a lot of waiting. And then, you know, eventually you get uh, enough experience that you kind of know when to go, when not to. And, and but like you say, it's it just depends on what kind of species. I mean, some of them you can get away with things. Uh, like I find goats, man, oh, man, you can get away with a lot with a goat because they lots of times they just stand on the cliffs and they think, well, you can't get me. <laughs> so, I mean... But yeah, I mean, sheep, not so much. So it's, and yeah, especially, yeah, and killaboo, it's, yeah, I mean, you could, you can walk up close as a, as a gun hunter, but as a bow hunter, well, not so much. So yeah, you're right about knowing the species and what you can get away with and what you can't. Um, you, you know, every species is a little bit different in their senses or like even, you know, an antelope will see you before an elk will see you or, you know, they, they all have like a, a, a different skill set to try to catch your different instincts they use to try to catch you. Yeah. So, so everyone is a touch different, but the, the same rules apply. It's just, it's not black and white when you're stalking an animal. There's never like a completely right answer and a completely wrong answer. It's like all this gray that you got to try to sort through. And just like you said, you, you gain enough experience or you hunt them long enough that, that you start to learn when is your time to go all in or when is your time to hold still. And like learning all those nuances to the stock – um, it, it really makes a difference in the opportunities that you can create and the animals that you can harvest is, is just knowing what you can get away with and what you can't and not pushing that line and also being able to recognize, you know, when that bull is in a good spot and you have a good win, like being able to look at the situation and go, man, I can kill that thing right there if I get to that point. And you almost need like this inner voice that kind of talks to yourself or you kind of throw things off and you can definitely shorten the learning curve and pick up things from podcasts and articles and you can learn from other people's experience but ultimately you need your own voice inside your head that tells you when you can go for it or when you can't and i also noticed that we're all individuals we all look we all like hunting different habitat or di some people like heavier timber some people like open country some people like to stalk them when they're in their beds some people like to stalk them when they're on their feet and so you got to make like kind of your own set of rules or your own stock that you're looking for and, and then try to make your decisions and stick to it but it's just such a such a great sport or such a it's like you you can be creative too and think outside the box and come up with solutions for problems and how you're going to get closer, move around that smaller buck or it's, um, it's just such creative thinking. That's why I love it so much. And, and I'm sure why you do too. Absolutely. Brian. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, yeah, it's, uh, every situation is unique and yeah, you it is. thrive off the, uh, you thrive off the, the successes that you've had previously and, you know, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. And that's just, uh, yeah, that's bull hunting. It's yeah. Well, and a lot of times they don't, right? As bow hunters, uh, you got to be pretty good at failing. Like even the best of us are the guys that see success. Like we still, I fail a lot. I mess up a lot. The animals... They have such good instincts. They're just going to catch you sometimes, even if you do make all the right moves. Or you know, it's it's just not a it's not a perfect science. And it's it's um, 
you know, e- even you get really proficient at bow hunting, you still fail a lot, and you just try to look at those scenarios and learn from them and go, okay, well, that didn't work out. Maybe next time I got to wait for a better wind, or next time I can't take that open approach. It, you know, I gave myself away there, or whatever the case is, but that's where you just try to learn from it, and then you try to build those experiences that then you can draw from later, and, and it all comes down, like you get an opportunity in the woods, you create that opportunity by... Like like you're doing stone sheep hunting, covering country, looking at basins, glassing a lot. Finally, you find an animal. You create that opportunity, and then it just comes down to the moves you make, whether or not you're going to get to loose an arrow or get a shot or get in close, you know. But um, it's just so fun and so challenging. Oh, man, is it everything. You don't know how many times I had, like, buddies tell us, like, just shooting with a gun already. And, you know, I just can't. You know, it's just uh, – you know, I got nothing against gun, but it's just, uh, it's just the way, you know, you, I uh, just got to get it done with the bow and that's just, uh, me. And it's, um, yeah, I just, it's just, uh, that's the only option. Right. So, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it, you fail a lot. Like I do anyway. Like, I mean, I fail a lot more than I succeed. And I mean, it did you know, uh, lots of times you see those animals and, you know, it, the thought doesn't ever come into my mind, oh, well, I could have got him with a gun. But, um, yeah, it's just so difficult sometimes. And sometimes it doesn't even seem possible. And then all of a sudden it just comes together. And, yeah, it's it can be done. It all can be done. So It can. Yeah, yep. once you prove that to yourself, then you kind of buy into it and believe. But, yeah, I'm with you. When you first start bow hunting, you almost start thinking in that mindset of, gosh, if I would have had a rifle, I could have killed him. But, um, yeah, for, it just hooks some of us. That getting close and that challenge of it and putting a perfect arrow, is it's so tough. And so it just hooked me to where I didn't want to do anything else. And I love the adrenaline rush of getting close. And now, you know, I – you know. Rifle hunting is um, had taught me a lot in my early years, and I needed to have those successes and and walk around with a little bit better chance at killing something, and and be able to learn and build my skill set to where then I could commit to a bow. But I'm with you. Once you commit to a bow, it makes your bow hunting so much better. You just you think about every scenario like you're making a bow hunting stock, getting the wind right. You just never get like reckless or lose it and so i'm with you when i really started to have a lot of bow hunting success is when i just committed to bow hunting exclusively no matter what season it was no matter where i was going i just wanted to focus on bow hunting and getting better at it yeah absolutely i'm 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 with you there too and you know i i own a couple guns but they haven't come out of the the gun cabinet in a long long time so um, it's just uh it's always yeah the plan is just to do it with the bow and um like you say, lots of lots of failed attempts. Like, uh, you know, like I've been hunting, you know, muleys my whole life too, and I've never killed a good buck. Like I, you know, I've killed some small, you know, one forty class bucks, but I've never killed a big buck and had tons of chances. And you know, it is just like uh, again, it's just the the uh, the journey and the adventure to finally get there. And one day it'll happen. And same with an elk. Like it's. Uh, you know, I'm new to it. I, yeah, I could have shot lots of elk with a gun, but I mean, it's just, you got to get it done with the bull because it's just, um, it's consuming. It's just like, it's really, you know, I, um, it's tough to go back, you know, like I, you know, when you've had those like amazing close encounters, it would be, 
it's just tough for me to, to go back. You know, like I gun hunted when I was a kid and, you know, my dad, uh, you know, is, uh, you know, struggling us out gun hunting, right? My dad doesn't bow hunt. And, um, you know, so, you know, my, my first sheep trips and stuff with my dad, well, it was gun hunting, right? And then I just, uh, yeah, it's so awesome. It's so addicting that I just can't go back. Right? And it's, yeah. Yeah, well, um, and we're all individuals, which is the great thing. And some guys become really proficient and good and hunt with all weapons and take all opportunities to har- try to harvest a good animal. And I, you know, uh, uh, you know, we're all just different. And for me and you, we kind of progressed, started out with a gun, started getting better and more proficient at a gun. You know, for me, I cut my teeth and learned a lot through the gun seasons, but I'd kill something with my rifle. And then I would think, God, I really want to kill one like that with my bow. And if I just put that effort forth, I think I can do it, you know? And so I finally, you know, a dozen years ago or however long ago it was, I think it was like 2006, 2007, I said, you know, I'm just going to hunt with, with my bow exclusively. But, you know, the, the, the good thing is, is that we're all individuals and can all make our own choices and fall in love with different things. But yeah, for me and you, man, it doesn't get any better than bow hunting, the challenge of it and uh, putting all our effort into that. But, um, yeah, and it's cool. Like my girls, um, they both shoot bows, and they're really good shots. And we shoot some some leagues and some indoor and things. Um, but bow hunting is so difficult, and you fail so much. And with them, with you know, with school and grades and sports, and we just don't have the opp- They don't have the opportunity to put twenty days in the field to try to be successful and pay their dues and learn it. And so, you know, we start them off with with gun hunting and and learning the ropes that way and figuring out if they really like it. They can hunt less days and have some more opportunity and a better chance at being successful. And and also, you know, when you when they're twelve years old or you know fifteen years old, you know, they can't shoot a bow as far. They're not as proficient at shooting and so you know their opportunities at success are so low and so you kind of have to build your skill set and build up to it and and same thing with a beginning hunter like uh not that a beginning hunter couldn't commit himself to bow hunting and have that be all he wants to do but but two you can build some experience through learning with a rifle and getting a few animals and then kind of graduating your way up and and through the ranks i think you know but it's just great that we're all individuals and you're allowed to do you know you're allowed to fall in love with it, whatever you like to do and that's what you know if you love to hunt mule deer with a rifle and a bow that's great you can do that if you love to bow hunt and bow hunt every species that you can get a tag or a chance for well that's great we can do that as well you know so it's just so great that we have those opportunities opportunities in a in america and in canada you know it's, it's, yeah absolutely all, all hunting is awesome i mean as long as it's uh ethical and legal i mean uh, like i said i got absolutely nothing against gun hunting and same like you know my kids they're just little they're five and seven and they come and shoot 3d with me and they love it but i mean yeah when they when we when i actually take them hunting they'll be gun hunting too and you know you just gotta you know, I, I hope they like bowling, but maybe they won't. Maybe they'll like gun hunting too. And that's, uh, yeah, that's just okay. As long as, uh, as long as we're out hunting and out enjoying the, everything that it has to offer, that's awesome. So. Yeah, it gives us such um, so great that we found it. it gives us such perspective on our lives. You know, to be able to go on these big adventures and big hunts, it just makes us realize like how important our our families are and our friends are. And um, it's a pretty cool deal we found it. It sure seems like you've got a lot of great opportunity there in BC. It's been fun to hear about it. Uh, God, you guys lost your grizzly hunting up there, huh? What a bummer on that deal. Oh 
it's awful. It's just so political. And like we used to go, you know, and same, like it was all limited entry, tons of Grizzlies, Brian. Like, um, you know, I've, I've thankfully, I've, I've been lucky to shoot a few with a bow, but, um, you know, and now that it's closed, like it's, you know, last season we do uh, like an annual blackbird hunt and we saw, you know, 11 different adult Grizzlies, Brian, and just, big ones too and some of them they just you know they 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 totally knew we were there and they didn't even look at us like it's just uh it's awful that we lost it i mean hopefully we'll get it back because we lost it once before it's all political it has nothing to do with you know numbers there's more grizzlies now than ever before and i just yeah man i'm hopeful that we get it back because it was just uh that's another, like, uh, grizzly hunting with a bow is something else. And, you know, we could basically do it every season. Like, I mean, some of these, like, uh, you know, long ways away up north units, I mean, it's limited entry, but, you you know, most people get a tag because it's really under-applied for, right? So, yeah, to see 11 different grizzlies, adult grizzlies, is, man, oh, man, it's tough to, yeah, <laughs> that's, it's, yeah, uh, Man, that is tough. Yeah. It's tough when it's political and it's not science based and uh, population based and habitat and everything. Where you just have those bigger populations in those cities that that then vote and um, get it passed, where you can't hunt grizzly bears or control their populations. And I think you guys will start to see problems, just like we have down in the states. You talk about you know those eleven you know adult grizzly bears that don't even look twice at you anymore they start losing the fear of humans and that's what's happened down here in wyoming and montana there's four grizzly attacks in my home drainage this year or four that i know about or remember that i read about and and they were they happened real close to where i was hunting with uh, a couple of my hawaii friends but you know it's scary out there because those grizzly bears they don't have any respect for humans and their their populations have grown um, where they don't have any predators, and so you know they're almost starting to get overpopulated in these areas, which which push ones to, you know, to uh, to get more aggressive in in human camps or with humans in general. Man, it's a scary deal when you're scared to take your kids out in the woods in your home valley because you do have so many grizzly bears and so many grizzly bear attacks. So, man, it, it's encouraging to hear that you may get it back. Uh, uh, so hopefully, yeah, you're political climate changes a little bit and you'll you guys will be able to vote and get grizzly bear hunting you know back man oh man that's yeah. such a bad deal it is and you know what it, it's already begun but i'm like i mean <clears throat> last season two of my buddies got attacked by grizzlies one of them my uh young guy i know gavin Alisic, he's just a awesome hunter he he uh he was guiding up through stone sheep and he got he got attacked like right outside of camp and got bitten up and you know it's it's wild to think that you'd get a you know attack right outside a camp like that and he yeah he got bit up pretty good and uh and then my other buddy got attacked off of his quad <laughs> wow <laughs> you're kidding yeah. yeah so i mean insane you just see you know when i was a kid i mean you, you you know you didn't see many grizzlies at all and now brian you just see them all the time and you know what, with these people in these big cities, like, I mean, most of the voting comes out of, you know, in BC, out of the Vancouver, lower mainland area. Well, they don't realize that they used to have grizzlies over there, too. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's, it just seems odd that you can, you know, 
you know, you know, these big, you know, cities, they, they don't really know how we live up in the north and they've never even seen a grizzly. And, you know, if you don't see them in these big cities, well, you think that there's not many of them. But, man, they uh, they just need to be educated, I guess, because it's we see tons of them now. And yeah. Yeah. Well, and they vote one way, but they don't have to deal with the ramifications of it. They don't have to worry about getting attacked themselves because, like you say, they're not even in a grizzly bear area or making their way to places where they can see grizzly bears. They just um, they vote on emotion and, and what's been told to them. And, and like you say, they, they just don't have a connection with the wildlife or the mountains like, like us guys do that have to be in there and deal with them, you know. And, and not that I love grizzly bears just like I'm sure you do. Like I love seeing them and uh, – you know, they're such an awesome species, but I just don't want to have to worry about being attacked behind every corner or them having no fear of humans. Like, I just want to control the population like we do on all species, you know? It's like, um, yeah, you just want to yeah. manage. That's all, you know? I still want them around. Absolutely. That's with everything. Like, uh, you know, hunters with the, you know, they put all the money into conservation, and, you know, I'd... You know, I don't. I don't want to see no grizzlies at all. And but I mean, I don't want to see where, where there's so many of them. That, and and also they're hard on the ungulates too. Like they kill a lot of ungulates. So, I mean, I don't want to see the ungulate numbers go down and then the attack. You know, human attacks go up, and it's just uh, it just seems like a, a bad deal altogether. So, um, yeah, we'll see how it plays out. But. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, hope for the best. Well, always let us know if there's anything we can do. You know, we're a little disconnected here in the states, but um, yeah. If, if there, if it ever comes up for a, bo- a vote again, we definitely want to stand together as hunters and get the word out to to people. You know, to to make sure that we can show up in the vote as as outdoorsmen. But yeah, it's it's scary stuff when stuff like that, uh, when when laws like that start to get passed, and and we definitely have to watch out for it. Make, it, make sure that we, we represent hunters in the right light and that we're getting a positive message out. And, um, you know, hopefully we can protect this for years to come for us and, and future generations, too, because it's such it's so amazing that us average guys can get these opportunities on these public grounds. I just think it's so great for for us as as uh, as humans or us as um, – well, not even us as males. I know there's a lot of females that hunt too, but it's so great to have this passion and this challenge and not to have – like the world gets so nerfed. It, it's so fun to go out in wildlife and out in nature and be responsible for your own well-being, to be responsible for keeping yourself safe and warm and, and dry and, and being able to challenge yourself in rugged mountains and, and uh, you know – it's not that we're putting our life on the line, but 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 you are in a sense, and that's what creates the true adventure. You know, that's what I just I love about it, or another thing I love about it. Yeah, absolutely. Like I mean, it's completely out of touch, right? Like I mean, there's no cell phones, there's no people, there's no nothing. And if you, you know what? Like yeah, like I mean, there's no you can't just you know like you have to rely on yourself. Then I mean. You have to be fit. You have to be, uh, you know, prepared. You have to have the right equipment. It's um, like, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it that people just don't understand, right? They, um, and the, the mountains, they're absolutely intimidating. Like, I mean, if you have never been up there before, it's intimidating. Like, I know people that want to go sheep and goat hunting, but they just don't really know what they're doing, and it's intimidating. Like, I mean, everybody, when limited entries come out, people put in sheep draws and then people get them and they don't go because, well, you got to hike up a mountain and you you have to, 
you have to sleep on the side of a mountain and it could snow and the grizzlies and you know the the steep country and the isolation and it's just um you know you you really have to love it and yeah like you said before brian like sometimes it's not fun it's uh it's miserable it's like you know day seven of being rained on every day that's another thing is that uh that place that we uh we hunt uh mountain caribou at i i swear the mountain caribou live there because the weather is so bad out of the how many days we spent in there we had two days that we didn't have rain pants and rain coats on it was just so it just rains all the time and blows and i think the the uh the wind blows the bugs out and blows the snow off the mountains and that's why they live there it's just miserable miserable weather all the time and you know it's just it's not always fun but you it's just such a, an adventure and it's just so i think it's so healthy too to be out in the wild that people yeah it's 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 uh it's tough but it's it's awesome because it's tough if that makes sense. Oh, it's a great description, Adam. Yeah, you know, you hit the nail on the head. That's a big part of it, man. And and like you say, you're not always comfortable with the scenarios or the situation, and you kind of got to work your way through. And when you first start, just like you're talking about people drawing sheep hunts and not going for them or being intimidated, when you first start out, those woods are so intimidating. And, and a lot of times you get in there and you end up giving up early or you end up getting scared out of there, and then you go home and think about it. But it it's like you got to continue to build your skill set and and being comfortable in the mountains and being able to you know have the confidence in your skills to take care of yourself to build a fire to warm up and just know that you can handle any situation that comes your way and you're going to be okay but it does take years and days and trips of doing that to kind of build your confidence and and once you can kind of build your confidence and learn how to survive in the mountains, it just makes you that much more effective at hunting because you can grind out bad weather. You can deal with, with, with bad circumstances, you know, and you can, you can still continue to grind and give yourself a chance. But, but it does take time to build your comfort level because I know taking guys up high country mule deer hunting – you know, they maybe hunted before and they maybe hunted elk or mule deer before, but when you go in that alpine, it is a different beast. It's like you're taking them to K2 or Everest, you know, and well, and Everest is so commercial nowadays, it's just like a Congo line going up to the top. That's not even real mountaineering. So it's like taking somebody to K2 and go, all of a sudden, we're going to be at high altitude. We're going to deal with bad weather. We're going to have to survive, rely upon our skills. And, and not only are we going to climb to the top of the mountain and down, we got to climb up and live for 10 days out of our backpack mountaineering around these different peaks keeping ourselves safe and we got to try to find a, a big mature mule deer and try to stalk within a stone's throw of it you know it, it's just so challenging but um but but that is where the love comes from and it, it is like along with building your hunting skills you have to just build like your mountain skills and your your navigational skills and there's so much that goes into being a good backcountry hunter that it's not all just about shooting and stalking um you, you know and hunting that animal it's also about surviving and mountaineering up there and and keeping yourself safe absolutely yeah yeah i remember like uh you know it, it takes some getting used to and it's not it's actually not even just mountain hunting like i, I remember like my beginning days of like tree stand hunting for like muleys and whitetails and you you hiking at night and you know that takes some getting used to too that's like a creepy feeling to know that you know like uh there's grizzlies that live around i'm hiking in at night you know and every every noise is like what was that what was that what was that but 
you know, same in the mountains that, you know, people don't, you know, the fog can, and clouds can move in and you can't see anything for days sometimes. And I mean, we, we you know, uh, my hunting buddy Rod and I, we spent, I, I think, three days in the tent that you couldn't even see outside the tent, just like completely socked in. So, I mean, you know, um, if you didn't know any better, you know that eventually it's going to blow out, it's going to move out. But, uh, you know, if you, you know, if that was like the first hunt in the mountains and all of a sudden you live in the tent for four days, you think, well, how the heck am I even going to get out of this place? Because I can't see anything. So, especially with the steep country and, but yeah, it's, um, it's just so, so much to learn. And man, I, I've made some awful mistakes and <laughs> done dumb things, you know, thinking, oh, it's going to be nice out. I'll pack, uh, less clothes and no rain stuff. And then, <laughs> you know, day three is just soaked and miserable. And yeah, it's, but eventually you kind of get a system going and you kind of know what to expect and you know that it can change any second and it could be awesome. It could be miserable and you just gotta, you gotta know how to deal with it. So it takes some time. Yeah, man, that's exactly right. Yeah, it just takes some time building that skill set and that confidence in it. And and like you say, you make mistakes and you make dumb mistakes along the way, but you just try to learn from them and be better and um, you know, look at the look at every situation and and uh, try to address it correctly or make sure that you've got all the correct gear to keep yourself safe. And then you know, stuff can happen. Your tent can blow over. Your you know, well, your your clothes can get soaking wet. Your boots can get. So then you just have to deal with that situation as it comes and you almost got to just keep yourself in the moment and and just like you were talking being in the tent for three days well sitting here you know in my warm comfortable office talking to you it's like oh yeah three days in the rain no big deal but when you're in that tent and you can just hear that wind and that rain just pounding on the side of it and it's so fogged in and you can't navigate and you're stuck in there your mind starts to play tricks on you you know and and it's really tough to keep your mind in the game and keep positive and know that it's going to break you know when you're in those moments you you just got to keep there try to keep yourself in good spirits you know if you got a hunting partner you can kind of joke around a little bit and and solos even tougher yet but you just have to deal with them and and kind of conquer conquer your own thoughts too as you're up in there and and you're you're your own motivator like when you're up there like everything's going to be telling you to quit and to give in and you just kind of keep fighting through it because uh you know you you you've seen success before by grinding through it and making it to the other side and you know that you just need a sliver of an opportunity and you're not going to kill him if you go home you just got to keep in the game and just keep trying and keep there but it is really like a mental pep talk throughout a difficult hunt oh absolutely it's easy to to quit and go home and that's that's uh that's where the the pre-prep you know does you so much good but uh yeah, like, and, and, you know, thankfully now the equipment is so good, but I'm like, I mean, I, my, my, my early days of she bunting was my dad. Like, I got a photo of my dad with, uh, he's got a 40 inch stone on his back and he's got a pack with no waist wrap. It's just like a piece of aluminum. <laughs> and then he's got jeans and, you know, the same stuff that he wore to the mill when he, my dad's a millwright. So, you know, you see, uh, this photo of him and he, my dad, one who's like, why my brother and I were always mountain hunting? Well, he, he doesn't, you know, the equipment's so good now that you don't have to be miserable all the time, but you know, um, you know, and yeah, like crazy stuff can happen too. Like we, uh, we had one hunt, um, two of my, my buddies, uh, Jim and Wally, they, 
they went after the sheep while we were mountain caribou hunting. Anyway, it turned out they found a big mountain caribou up there. Shot a beauty bull, 368 bull. But anyway, they came down, and uh, uh, just a horrible storm blew in, and they lost everything. It blew their tent right off the mountain. They mm-hmm. lost their tent, and we, we could never find it. You'd think you'd find it in the in the bush below. We never found it. Like thousands of dollars of stuff, sleeping bags, mats, stove, tent, gone. You're kidding. <laughs> I mean, it just flew off the mountain, huh? Yeah, gone. Oh, a couple no. of tent bags left. That was it. And we just we never ever found it. So, oh no. Well, and you it's not black or white when you're in the mountains either. It's gray. Where are you going to camp? Where's a safe spot to camp? And those winds can change directions, and they get gnarly up above tree line like that. So I can see where something like that would happen. But, yeah, that is wild. Um, yeah, and they sure built that, that last generation or the guys that had to do it before us. They were the, the – the, they showed true toughness, like my my dad and his brothers, I mean, hunting in flannel and wool and hunting the Pacific Northwest and Helly Hansen rain gear. And, you know, those guys were grinding. And you talk about putting their life on the lines to go try to kill a black-tailed deer or a Roosevelt elk. Those guys went for it, you know. Or then you look back at the next generation, my grandpa, and listening to stories of him and his dad. Like, man, they built those guys tough and, and – um. Yeah, it's just nice that the gear does make such a difference as now we have lightweight gear, we have the right gear, like to, to keep you safe in there and that you can trust. So it is, it, it's so much better than it used to be, you know, where we can actually trust in that stuff. But yeah, uh, it's not easy now, but boy, it would have been a heck of a lot tougher, you know, the the last generation back or the the one before that. Wow, look out. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Just, uh, and, and actually you still see some of these old guides, they eh? Just uh, they just can't change. They you know they're still still wearing jeans and flannel. And <laughs> they find a system that works for them, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's wild. Well, um, Adam, this time has flown by. I just kind of jumped right into the podcast. I knew you're a diehard bow hunter, so the conversation would come pretty easy. But man, I I've really enjoyed meeting you and getting to sit down and have a conversation and and hear about some of that that hunting opportunity you have in BC up there. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, it's been awesome. I really appreciate you having me. It was, uh, yeah, and I'm like, like you say, it's just, it's so easy. I mean, we could we could talk for days, right? It's just like I mean, story after story, adventure after adventure, but it's always always awesome to connect with another uh, diehard bull hunter. So. Yeah, like-minded guys. Well, um, we got to keep in touch and do it again. Like you say, uh, we could do a, a, a five-hour podcast pretty easy, but let's save it for the next one. Um, what hunts do you have coming up? Any more for this season? I do, yeah. So, I mean, I've had a tough go. I, I haven't, uh, well, yeah, i got a uh, big blackie in the swing, but that's, um, yeah, if you put some time and it's not that tough. But, yeah, you know, I tried to go goat hunting, no luck. Elk hunting, no luck. Um, I went big horde hunting a week and didn't even see a sheep, let alone a ram. So, I mean, it's not been good. So now it's just, uh, it's uh, muleys and whitetails, and then I might try and do a late-season goat hunt too. So we'll see how that plays out. But, oh, uh, you still got some good adventures coming up. Good on you, Adam. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Brian? You got anything else? Yeah, I'm. I, you know, the heart of my season is kind of winding down, but yeah, I still got some good hunts left. So I've got a a muley tag here in Montana, uh, one in uh, the southern state just from me, Idaho, which is a few hours away. So I've got a late season muley tag there, um, and I can hunt all of December on that tag. And so um, I've got those two hunts, and then um, 
I usually try to get down to Arizona and soak up some heat like in January and, and uh, hunt coos. And, and this year I may mix a little mule deer in the northern part of the state in that. So, yeah, I still got some good hunts coming up and, and um, some good things to look forward to. In fact, I'll be going hard. You know, come this weekend, uh, the the muleys are really starting to rut around here. They should be just coming in, and I'm I'm so excited to go get after them in some of my my backpacking spots and see if I can turn up a good heavy one. Oh, that's awesome! I can't can't yeah. wait to see it. Yeah, well, Adam, uh, really fun to meet you. Let's keep in touch and do this again. Absolutely, I'd love that. All right, um, thanks, and we'll talk soon. Okay, thanks a lot, Brad. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Uh, fun conversation with Adam, just a like-minded individual. He gets after it with his bow in his hands and um, loves the adventure of it and the challenge of it and uh, just had a, such a great time. Like, I, I just get to meet the best people that, that are in, you know, guys that are in the outdoor industry and guys that are not just the average blue-collar guy, but, um, you know, the... The, the similar trait, you know, we all just love to hunt and uh, fun to get us together and sit down for an hour and, and break down, you know, different hunts, different adventures, fun things that happen to us and um, dive down the rabbit hole of bow hunting. I just absolutely love it. Uh, so fortunate to have you guys um, give me support of the podcast, downloading it, the reviews, uh, support on social media, man, it's just absolutely awesome. We've been able to build this community and helping each other, uh, get better and improve. Um, I sure love doing it. So I, you know, from the bottom of my heart, I really appreciate the support guys. So thanks a bunch. Um, I want to thank our sponsors for today's show. I want to thank tech new and, uh, I want to thank IOTA outdoors. Um, just a couple great companies that have sponsored the podcast. And uh, thank the Eastmans. Gosh, they've always believed in this podcast and um, supported me and uh, helped me with everything I need. So um, just a great company, and, and I'm so glad to be a part of it. I'm going to run over here next week and meet up with those guys and um, hang out for a couple days, get some recordings. I'm going to record the 200th episode, which I'm really excited about. So um, I'll work hard to put together some good notes and get some good stories and get the best out of those guys, you know, for the 200. I mean, for me, an authentic, genuine podcast is the best thing you can do. Like podcasts just give you a glimpse into people's life, into who they really are. It isn't a soundbite. It just seems like on TV, you know, the way everything gets edited, like it's just it's just not – it's not a long form conversation where you get to know, you know, their stance on things and their theories, how they think about things. And so that's why I just love the podcast. And so I think that's what I want to try to capture in the 200th episode. I have such fun with those guys. They're such great storytellers and um, they're so quick. You know, guys, just a sniper, how I'll kind of sit back and I'll let everybody talk and then he'll just jump in with the the funniest thing that that uh, fits perfect. And so, like, I just have a good time hanging out with those guys. And so that's what I want to try to capture on the podcast. So it's going to be a relaxed setting. Um, try to do a, a, a long podcast and uh, just get those guys on mic and have a good time and um, show, you know, Again, just show off you know who they really are and the great people behind the company Eastman. So it should be really fun. I'm really looking forward to it. And um, trying to get some some last minute hunting in. Man, I had just awesome hunt last last weekend. Just only had a couple days. I've been recording a live podcast, so I'll release that to you guys. And just hoping I can sneak away for a a couple more days here. Um, 
it, it's tough. It's always tougher than I think it's going to be. I get down there. It doesn't matter what species I'm hunting, whether it's mule deer, whether it's elk, whether it's axis deer, you know, whatever it is, they're just always tough. And, and mule deer, I probably harvested more of them than any other species, but it's still just everyone makes me work for it. I mean, you guys probably heard that live hunt in Wyoming. I just couldn't get it right. You know, and then I jump over to Montana in late season, make a couple stocks and get one down, but it's just perfect conditions, you know? And now as I get into this late season, big mountains, deep snow, these, these deer are just good at catching me and they're rutting, which, you know, the bucks kind of throw caution into the wind, but I, I don't know. I haven't seen any crazy rutting bucks that haven't noticed anything or aren't paying attention to danger. I've actually had those bucks leave the entire herd to, um, to get away if they see danger and then all those does you know of course they've got all their senses and like this last buck i was hunting he had 12 to 15 does i think maybe i need to get some whites too i think maybe they're catching a little movement in between the tree branches just with that really white background so um but yeah it just teaches me you know i get there and i make a couple stocks and of course it's below zero gnarly wind like you can't it's tough to be patient and hold still and let things develop so it's just been a tough go but uh i got a few plays and man have i been having fun i just absolutely love bow hunting so uh so fortunate this life i get to live and then to be able to have a platform to share it with you guys and and to have people that actually listen <laughs> that's great too uh but yeah it's just uh life is good right now for sure um Hunt season's so fun, but it is coming to a close. You know, all the the big trips get over with, you know, and and uh, it, it kind of makes you long for them or miss them. It just, like, you wait all year, and then it gets here, and it just goes by in just a flash, a blink of the eye. And you think you're hunting, you got a hunt plan for 10 days, and you get out there, and pretty soon it's day 6, pretty soon it's day 8, pretty soon it's day 10, and you're headed home. just seems like a blink of the eye. But, um... I guess that's how it is. It's just trying to do what we absolutely love as much as we can and, and still take care of all our responsibilities, work and then um, podcasts and, and writing. And um, so, you know, I, I always keep myself really busy with, with other things, but it's just been a great hunting season, man. Bunch of time and bunch of great adventures, successes and failures. But, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way, man. That's bow hunting. So just absolutely awesome and really cool to get to share the journey with you guys. But all right, this is not a solo podcast. I get rambling on. You turn this mic on and all of a sudden I'm a I'm a podcaster. I guess that's the nature of the beast. But uh, thanks as always, guys, for all the support. I sure appreciate it. And um, yeah, check in with you guys next week.